Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzola, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, and it's time, man. It's time to preview the divisional round. Got my Brunel jersey, as I promised, too. You do? Yeah. Yeah, well done. This is from uh, 97 or so. It looks it. Does it? Yeah. It's been through it a little bit. <laughs> it's not like, it's like the $40 version. I don't know, whatever they're, they cost now. Not Probably like the, a lot more. Not the full replica. Yeah. That you get, whatever this was, 30 bucks, 40 bucks back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. What's that now? 3000 Yeah, about that. Oh, I should sell it. Mm-hmm. I would never. I would never sell my Mark Brunel jersey. Still just a 90s Jags fan. Not necessarily these Jags. So, yeah, we're going to preview all four games. Yeah. We're more efficient in previews than we are mm-hmm. reviews. Maybe. Yeah. Hopes are high, though, for this week. I yeah. like Remember, this time a year ago, we had – a spectacular round of the playoffs. I mean, arguably the best weekend of football ever. That was the whole weekend. It was... It was the 13-second game, Kansas City-Buffalo. Kansas City-Buffalo. The Rams-Bucks, crazy back-and-forth game. That was 27-3 to and eventually tied. Joe Burrow and the Bengals winning despite getting sacked nine times against Tennessee and the number one seed. 49ers-Cowboys was that weekend? 49ers-Green Bay. 49ers-Green Bay. Okay, that's right. That was that... That was a good game, too. I mean, that was yeah. 49ers win just because of uh, blocked punt. Four, four outstanding games. It really was. Like, uh, genuinely one of the finest weekends of football we've ever seen. So. There are some people who uh, – thank you, Ben. Brunel Jersey looking good, he tells me. There are some people who say this is the best weekend of football because you get the final eight teams, you get four games. Like, next week we – you know, it's the final four, but you only have two games hmm. next week. It's our last Saturday of football, so it's a lot of fun. And uh, let's get into it. So the schedule starts – Saturday afternoon, Jacksonville Jaguars at the Kansas City Chiefs. First time these two teams have ever played in the playoffs as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, just like last week, Jags and Chargers, first time playoff matchup. There. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is good. Eight and a half point Kansas City uh, are the favorites here by eight and a half. It's uh, even higher in other places. So uh, obviously on paper, big difference between these two teams. Um, I think the question for me is, how much do you look at the recent run 
by the Jags. Do you split their season into two and say this was uh, second half Jags, which is a whole different Trevor Lawrence? And I know they started the season with some hype and some buzz going two and one and a big win against the Chargers. But second half of the season, do you look at the Jags any differently? And maybe it's going to be a little bit more competitive against the number one seed Chiefs. Yeah, I think you probably have to. Um, it's yeah, Vegas with the the lines this week. It's not exactly Vegas doesn't think it's going to stack up to last year. You know, it's not predicting yeah. for razor thin, uh, amazing games that are going to come down to the final play. It's predicting for well, three reasonably comfortable victories and one you know close enough. Um, and this is the one to me that feels like it has the biggest potential to be pretty lopsided game um I think you need Trevor Lawrence playing at the peak of his powers second half Trevor Lawrence from last from last week and also from the second half of the season for them just to hang in a shootout with Kansas City like I no matter what happens I find it difficult to find a way that this Jacksonville defense can slow down Kansas City overall and if they can't like now you're asking a lot of Trevor Lawrence in that offense which is playing pretty well but still you know, you can see the lack of talent in certain areas during the games, right? And if, yeah. if that shows up or if they just – if he's not able to have that kind of perfect game, man, it's hard to see them hanging with the Chiefs. I'd be remiss if I didn't make some kind of comparison to the uh, upstart Jags in the uh, 96 Jaguars. Yeah. So the 96 Jaguars went into Buffalo in the wild card round as eight-and-a-half-point underdogs. Okay. Won the game 30-27. to 27 against Jim Kelly and the Bills. Then they go to Denver. Week two, divisional round, number one seed Broncos. This was Elway's year. This was their year to win the Super Bowl. They had it all set up. Like every other year. Like every other year. 12 and a half point underdogs. And the Jags win 30 to 27 again. So obviously, there's a chance for an upset here because it happened back in 96. Okay. Okay, sorry. But actual real on-field stuff to talk about here. I thought that the early in the game uh, last week with the, with the Chargers being so physical with Jags receivers and all that stuff, you're going to see that with Kansas City. No team plays, or like one team plays more press coverage maybe than the, than the Chiefs. Also, and, shouldn't that just be your default position in the playoffs? Like, they change the way they officiate the yeah. playoffs. Like, ah, we don't want to, let's dial it back, right? Make them, make them go the other way. Like, just <laughs> start off every game assuming you can mug receivers until told otherwise by the amount of laundry on the field. And the Chiefs in particular, we're going to see that. Like, no no duo had more uh, – no outside cornerback duo had more press coverage snaps than the Chiefs. Jalen Watson and Legereus Sneed are one and two in press coverage snaps. So I think the Jags have to have those middle-of-the-field answers again, but right away, right? You can't be forcing it outside, um, you know, to Marvin Jones or Zay Jones or whatever. If they're locked up, the Chiefs are aggressive. Um, they'll mix it up with the blitz and the pass rush and all that stuff, but – the, the Jags have to have those answers right away. It took them a little bit of time to adjust in the Chargers game. Um, the other thing that's interesting, we always like to look at the last matchup, right? The last matchup was 27 to 17. Chiefs got up early, but you know, there's always those games in the in the during the season where the Chiefs are the clear favorites, but they start to hand the the ball the the game away a little bit, right? They had um, was there a surprise onside kick in there, or they they fumbled an <laughs> onside uh, they fumbled a kickoff, they were turning it over just some stupid plays by the Chiefs that actually brought the Jags back into it. Now, back in week 10, we thought the Jags were just some lowly 3-6 and six team, right? That was like, oh, man, the Chiefs should roll. Turns out the Jags were an eventual playoff team that had turned it around right around that time of the season. 
So at the time, it was like, man, the Chiefs are handing a team a game. But regardless, it's the same thing. If the Chiefs beat themselves, right? If they beat themselves, that off, that gives the Jags a chance in this game. Yeah. No, I think it does. Um, like, they, they did have a game plan that was a little bit different to, uh, against Kansas City than most teams. Like, most teams have shown Kansas City um, the same kind of looks. Jacksonville hasn't necessarily – or didn't necessarily do that when they played them. They were uh, more aggressive with um, – the kind of two high looks that everybody is show, that sh- everybody showed them last year that hasn't actually done it this year. Like that's one of the curious things this season is that yeah. what we expected to be the, the blueprint against Kansas City hasn't been. Um, last season, they struggled against these two high looks. This season, either they figured it out right away and everyone went, uh-oh, they solved it, do something else. Or absent Tyreek Hill, teams immediately just decided before you even played the Chiefs, well, there's no reason to do that anymore because – Tyreek Hill was what was driving that. But when they played, Jacksonville played a ton of those two high looks. Um, so, like, I think their defense is going to show the Chiefs something different than they typically see on a weekly basis. But I think this offense is just too good not to have success against anything. Other notes about that game, you know, to your point, it, they didn't blitz Mahomes, which, again, is, like, historically a bad idea, right? I mean, th- that's where when you talk about Mahomes, we both ranked him as the, the top quarterback remaining in the playoffs here that is the same thing you always heard about brady and manning and breeze and and rogers like you don't blitz the best quarterbacks you know for various reasons right they can recognize it they can react to it quickly enough and they have answers and and they're accurate enough to get the ball where it needs to go um so usually you don't do that mahomes is that guy right they the scheme itself does a really good job of having answers mahomes just has you know you got (laughs) People were complaining because when you guys were building the best quarterback, Mahomes didn't win anything, which, mm. is, again, it's like doesn't matter. Um, you could argue arm if you really wanted to because of the way he throws the ball. But regardless, if you guys had a category for just vision and feel and all that stuff, I think it's Mahomes by a mile, right? I mean, just all of that stuff, and that goes into uh, blitz recognition and um, seeing the field, knowing where to b- go with the ball. And even you guys said, hey, if – when Brady moves on, or if you say he's too old or whatever, give Mahomes the decision-making title um, of he's the best decision-maker, which is weird for a guy that throws back across his body and all that stuff. But because he's so successful making those plays, you could say those are good decisions, right? He knows himself. He's got, to me, it's the spatial awareness that he has. So all that said, will the Jags change it up a little bit? The Jags had their worst pass rush grade of their season against the Chiefs. And I don't know, do, or do they just trust Trayvon Walker, Josh Allen, Arden Key to those guys to win some one-on-ones against a very good Chiefs offensive line? I think it's tied to what we were talking about before of them trying to play coverage and not blitzing and, and showing the too high stuff. And basically that, that means you're relying on those front four guys to get pressure. But I think you're almost in a world where you're saying, we're probably not getting pressure either way. The more important thing is to flood coverages and just make him do it the hard way. Like, he'll probably do it, but I think it still is the right solution or the best thing you can do against Patrick Mahomes. Like, if you don't have if you don't have an obvious trump card on defense, like the you know Dallas's pass rush or some elite coverage on the back end, like if you don't have something where you can rely on them just winning, and you have to say, what is the game plan that should happen against, Can- against Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes? It probably is to just make them earn it the longest route possible, like make them 
take a series of plays and every time they score, make it cost 10, 15 plays. And okay, if they're going to do that, fine. But at least you're making them earn it, right? If you if you blitz them just to try and get pressure on Mahomes, he's going to carve it up anyway, and they're going to have the exact same result. Only it's going to take them two plays. And Mahomes did carve them up in the in the first game. It was one of his better games from a grading standpoint. Ninety one point four overall. It was better. It was a good statistical game too. Twenty six of thirty five for three thirty one. Four touchdowns. Had a pick in there as well. Um, but it was one of Mahomes' best games, and he spread the ball around. You know the. The other thing that Mahomes did back in 2018 that I was most impressed with when he first started in the league, it wasn't the highlight real plays. It was that he overall took what was there, right? And that was what was weird about last season is they didn't necessarily have those adjustments, right? The Chiefs' offense has set such a high standard that when they hit this midseason lull, it was like, uh-oh, what's going on? Why are they not dominating? And it was because Mahomes got impatient for a while. Yeah. But he's back to playing a patient game, and it is a mm-hmm. different offense, right? It is Jarek McKinnon, who's got, what, eight receiving touchdowns in the last seven or eight games. Um, it is their – it's Kadarius Tony a couple times a game. It is their speed and quicks, along with Travis Kelsey, working the underneath stuff that is the foundation of this offense, right? And then, oh, by the way, if you get too lazy there, then we'll go over the top. But it's different from – Tyreek Hill's going to stretch the field. Kelsey's going to work the short and intermediate. We're going to play this, you know, three-man game, basically. Mahomes is spreading the ball around, taking what's there, and it's been really difficult for teams to stop because they, they it's not about stopping one person anymore, yeah. right? It's about stopping the entire offense, and Mahomes has just run it beautifully this year. But I think the fact that, at least, that somewhere in the past there is evidence that Mahomes can get impatient and frustrated if you make yeah. him take the long route to scoring means that's your best starting point. Like, it might yes. not work. It's entirely possible that the best quarterback in the NFL playing the best football of his career in the best offense in the NFL is going to hammer you no matter what you do. But I think it's at least the correct process and the correct starting point to work from and then just hope you catch, you know, you know a few breaks here and there. So if you do, if the Jags stick with their four-man rush, um, they, I think they need special games from, from their athletes. They've got really good athletes up front and Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker and the guys we've mentioned – and those guys need to win. And I think when the Jags' defenses look good, you generally point back at that front and say, well, they, they played a really good game. They played a, a very, very good game. The Jags' linebackers, a little hit or miss this year, yeah. right? I know uh, Foye Olakun gets a ton of a ton of credit for making a ton of tackles and very, say, Devin White-ish in that he makes tackles, he makes splash plays, he kind of shows up on um, in a lot of games, but... There's some ugly games in there too. He graded much better this year than he did last year. He was a good player overall for the Jags, but I think there's a lot of pressure on their linebackers, uh, maybe more than ever, right, as far as when you're playing the Chiefs. It's it's on those guys to play the run. They're going to run the ball a little bit, but also stop the underneath stuff. And he's also the guy that gets everybody lined up in that defense. Like outside of him, you know, they've got rookie Devin Lloyd. He's splitting time with Chad Muma, fellow rookie. You can kind of see – Olukun directing the traffic like he's making sure everybody's in the right gap he's making sure everybody's where they're supposed to be that they've got their assignments down almost before every single snap so the dude is like on the one hand trying to figure out what he's doing and making his own plays and on the other hand is sort of like a schoolmaster looking around making sure all the young guys know what the hell they're doing on a given play the other thing that this defense needs to do is like all season long teams have forced Kansas City into third and long and then haven't stopped them like Third and 19. Eh, whatever. Kelsey to – or Mahomes to Kelsey. First down. I, it's absurd. They, they are picking up third and longs at 45%. 
it's insane. Right, and that's so seven and more, right? But they're like, that's nuts. That level, that percentage of, of converting on third and long is madness. Um, that's supposed to be a difficult situation. Like that's your advantageous spot for a defense. We've got them in third and long. We get to pin our ears back. We know the ball's going to come out pretty quickly and they have to try and pick up a huge amount of yardage. So we're, we're golden. Like this is the perfect spot. And the Chiefs are just like, nah, whatever. This is just a normal it, play. Well, the Chiefs pick them up. What makes them so difficult in third and long is they pick up those first downs in different ways, right? Yeah. It's Mahomes from the pocket where guys are getting open or schemed open. It's Mahomes outside the pocket. If you let him break free, either running or passing, right? You can He can do it multiple ways. He converted, what, that third and 17 or 18 or whatever it was against Tennessee. Um, so that's the other thing. If the Jags are going to rush four, Sam, do you want to win reps here and there? Like, do you want to just have – I don't know what the balance is, right? Do you mush rush and say, don't get too far upfield, retrace your steps, don't let Mahomes break the pocket, or do you say, we need, we need splash plays. Every now and again, we need that two-second win where we pick up a sack – strip sack or something like that it's so tough when you rely on that four-man rush i think to coach your rushers to to perform to do yeah. it do a, the right way against mahomes i don't think it's the i don't think you need the two-second win but i think that's where you need your athletes to show up like jacksonville's defense their pass rushers they're not great but because they've all been drafted high they're almost all spectacular athletes like when you look at trayvon walker um the other josh allen uh arden key like these guys are special movement speed explosive type of players they don't necessarily need to win in two seconds but when Mahomes starts to break the pocket and starts to go somewhere they need to be able to mirror and chase him down and make sure that he's not able to just escape and buy three more seconds for Kelsey to get open some weird way and then fire the ball in there Cincinnati did a really good job of this when they played um, Kansas City and they had like Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard who are, are two pretty good athletes themselves like Jacksonville can match those guys for athlete, athlete for athlete. They're not as good a player, but the great work that those two guys were doing was when Mahomes started to bail. Like they were able to stay under control, shadow him outside of the pocket and chase him down and force him to go somewhere with the ball quickly, as opposed to getting out of control, trying to win initially, and then just being taken out of the play. So, you know, guys like Trayvon Walker, it's like, look, you're not really getting a ton of pressure anyway. So concentrate less on that yeah. and concentrate more on making sure you're there when he starts to bail and then use your uh, athletic ability. The, it feels like a, a lifetime ago, but the last time we saw the Chiefs was the uh, ring around the rosy huddle play mm. against the Raiders. And, and on top of all this, right, Mahomes is special and they've got, I think it's a good group of playmakers, you know, the way they deploy them. Travis Kelsey, of course, being the star there. A good offensive line. And then, oh, by the way, when you – the creativity, right? There's just so much to defend, timely, because our friend Josh Norris just posted a, a video of all the different ways Kadarius Tony was deployed in the Jacksonville matchup last time. And we're talking orbit motion, jet motion, um, leaking out into the flat and all these different things. And every time you give Andy Reid, you know, the extra week, I think – I haven't checked up on his recent buy record and all that stuff, but that was legendary for a while. Mm -hmm. Whether he's great coming off that or not, We've seen the Chiefs rusty coming out of buys. I'm less worried about that, but there's so much for the Jags to prepare for, right? And it looks like their defense has to just play um, a really, a really clean game to um, to win. And then who knows what the what the Chiefs do in the red zone, right? Like what are they going to break out in the red zone right now? There's always some level of creativity there. 
maybe they have a constraint play for the uh, merry-go-round. <laughs> you need a play off of that. We've only seen a, uh, a speed option throwback screen coming off of that. Mm. What if they just want to run mesh coming off of that? You know, you could run anything. You could. But right now, they have a strong tendency for every time you see the merry-go-round huddle, yeah. you're going to see speed option throwback screen. 100 So you're going to be like, alert, alert, speed option throwback screen. And then they're going to be like, nope, we're just running speed option here. So you don't know what the answer is going to be here with the Chiefs. Yeah, 100% so far is a strong tendency. Yeah, thank you. And our other friend, Andrew Siciliano, I'm just in tune with them. Um, then I have a declaration to make. Okay. Cecily says, could get messy in, in Kansas City Saturday. Cloudy early with periods of light rain and snow later in the day. Yeah. It's a 4, 4 4.30 start, right? Some mixed winter precipitation is possible. Winds light and variable. <laughs> Chance of precipitation is 50%. Mixed winter precipitation. Mixed winter precipitation. The yeah. PFF app says 35 degrees, 5 mile an hour winds and snow. Doesn't say broken clouds? No, it's much more declarative. It's not okay. mixed winter precipitation. It's, it's snow. So not only am I keeping an eye on uh, Twitter right now, but I'm also keeping an eye on the chat. And I see the people in the YouTube chat saying, don't forget, pick the opposite of Steve. Mm. But I have a declaration to make. My declaration is playoff Steve has arrived. I have arrived. Playoff Steve is four and two. Playoff Steve playoff is four Steve. and two. Yeah. Yeah. Bring I'm the in. NFC South. I had a bad year, but somehow I snuck into the playoffs. You're still letting me make picks. And here I am. Four and two. Bringing your overall record to? It's a new season. 47 games it's under 500. It's a new season. A new season. No, it's not. What's it's, your new season record? Well, I know my what it is. Total it's one season in five. record is 21 games better than you. In the playoffs. Which is still terrible. In the play January, Steve, even. Yeah, because it did start. It did start week 17 and 18. <laughs> kind of got into a roll. It started Hot. once your son started making picks for you. No, I went away from Harry. Harry's two and four in the playoffs. Mm. Which is still a game better than your one and five. Oh, yeah. I've been horrific in the playoffs. I, I've been, in fact, horrific since your son came into the, the equation and started to complicate Keep my things. son out of this. And, well, you could have kept your son out of it, and then I'd have been fine. Should have. Should have, for your sake. Um, yeah. So, hang on. What was your declaration? The playoff Steve is, is a different animal? That's Playoff Steve's arrived. Yeah. Okay. That's it. I've declared that. All right. So, what does playoff Steve declare? pick here? Uh, I want to talk a little Jags offense first. Okay. But first, I want to remind people, as uh, Meme Guy reminded us in his sleep, he's hearing... The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Maybe they have some cool huddle options in their playbook as well. You should go check it out. You can team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. You can get started at westernsouthern.com PFF. I wonder if they like an Andy Reid playbook over there. All the answers, all the options, great red zone options all over at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Uh, real quick, other side of the ball, though. Trevor Lawrence probably needs to be special. Yeah. He, he, didn't put, he hasn't put together a full game over the last two weeks, right? Must win games. Um, good start against Tennessee. They kind of offense disappeared late against the Chargers. It was the opposite. Really slow start. And then they, they turned it on late. I think you need a full it doesn't have to be special, but just a full good game from Trevor Lawrence. And um, sometimes we get caught up in the special, right? The great throw, the here, and the, the spectacular play, the highlight reel. I th the best thing Trevor Lawrence did last, last week was taking what was there defensively. Kept hitting passes underneath. They bust a coverage. It goes over the top. 
he played a really clean game after he threw four interceptions, <laughs> right? Didn't he? Three of which were probably unlucky. Hmm. But he played a really clean game, and he just took what was there, took what was there, took what was there. <laughs> I think he's got to handle some pressure from Kansas City, some tighter windows with the press coverage that they play, and take what's there. And if he does that, that that's, the Jag, that's the Jags' best chance. I think the Chiefs are going to have some pass rush success, though with um, Chris Jones in particular. Yeah, I mean, the tough thing from his point of view is that you probably have to assume that you're starting from the standpoint of we need to hit 30 points to have any shot. Yeah. Because I, I we've talked about all the ways. It feels very difficult to imagine a world where the Chiefs don't put up that kind of total. So if you're going to have um, any kind of chance of springing this upset, you need to be able to match them for, with that kind of offensive production, which is possible, but doesn't give you an awful lot of margin for error. Um, the Jags' offensive line has been weirdly good in pass protection this season. I think that takes a hit with Cam Robinson down and Walker Little, who was the subject of our uh, explaining the great thing yesterday with him in there. Um, but yeah, the main threat from Kansas City is right up the middle with Chris Jones, who is having you know a defensive player of the year caliber season. That guy has been a wrecking machine almost all the way through the season. The fact that he can then kick out and do it on the edge as well is also terrifying for an offensive line. Like he's definitely going to bring some pressure. All right, the one last thing here. The Jags and Doug Peterson will play to win, right? Uh, it sounds like a ridiculous cliche statement, but they will be aggressive on fourth downs, and they'll go for it when um, people are asking you to take the points and take the three. You don't take the points against the Chiefs. You play for six. You play for your six and a half. I hope you hit the extra point. So we know we'll get that aspect of it, right? We know we'll get some level of underdog, aggressiveness from Doug Peterson I think he was actually a little conservative in the last Chiefs game a couple punts right around midfield but they were like fourth and threes fourth and four type of if you get into fourth and one fourth or two I think they're they're go for it anytime you're on your own 40 or beyond so um, that'll be the other interesting to watch thing to watch for the Jags if they're going to pull the upset um, they at least have those elements in their favor they're going to be aggressive and give it a shot so I hope we see a good game, man. I hope we see a good one here. And But the, the Chiefs are a better team. They won by 10 the first time out. They're favored by 8.5. Where are you going with this one? And this could also be, like, I mean, he's it's been happening the second half of the season and the second half of last week, et cetera. But this could be like Trevor Lawrence's real coming out party. Like, if he goes toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and a better Kansas City team in the playoffs, even if he doesn't pull the upset, if he gets close, this could be the game that everyone's like, all right, Trevor Lawrence is – absolutely legit now. let's do narrative stuff though because i like this with the playoffs right patrick mahomes has played in an afc championship every single year he's been the starter he has never played a real road playoff game don't tell me the tampa super bowl that's not a really it just coincidentally happened to be against the bucks in tampa it's not really a road playoff game Kinda is. it's not because the season ticket holders don't get all the tickets not a road playoff game i mean it's not at home and it's on the road it's a neutral site. At a site that it's happened a neutral to be the site. Team. It was predetermined neutral site. Right, but it ended up being. He's going to have a neutral site <laughs> AFC championship if, if the Chiefs <laughs> and Bills win. The very minimum, it's road adjacent. It's right there. It's more. It's not an official road game. He's, he's, he's never played an official road game. Official. Road he game. still won't. Okay. You know, it's still not going to happen. They're the number one seed. My point is, they've been in the AFC championship every single year. The Mahomes Reed Chiefs legacy is 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 getting up there with the Patriots but they're just behind in Super Bowls right they're the team that's in the AFC championship every single year they're the team to knock off even though the, the Bengals did it last year it's the Chiefs are the team to beat their back is the number one seed 
And then you have the upstart Jaguars where there's the, the three definitive top quarterbacks, probably in the NFL, but definitely in the AFC, and Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen, and Trevor Lawrence wants to join that group, right? He wants to be a part of that group. And then you've got Trevor Lawrence living in Mark Brunel's shadow because in 96, Brunel went into Denver and he pulled the upset against Elway as 12.5-point dogs. Mm. And they went to the AFC Championship, got waxed by New England. But either way, they went to the AFC Championship in a year that they shouldn't have. And the Jags are trying to repeat history here with Trevor Lawrence trying to be the next Mark Brunel. I mean, Lawrence is trying to be the he's, – he's jockeying for position to be the second-best quarterback in Jags history. Who is that right now? David Garrard. David Garrard. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence is trying to put himself ahead of David Garrard. Ahead of David Garrard to be uh, QB2 behind Mark Brunel in franchise history. That's what's on the line here wow. this weekend. Stakes don't get higher than that. I got the Chiefs covering the eight and a half. Yeah. This is the one I think from the week that I feel the most confident about. So obviously it'll, it'll be the other really? way. Trevor Lawrence wins. Um, yeah. I just. One in five, Sam. One in five, playoff, Sam. Yeah. Feeling real confident You're about this. really mouthy for a guy that was the, <laughs> literally the statistically worst game picker that the game has ever seen. I'm the Jags. I'm the, you know, I snuck into the playoffs and then, oh, I want a game. Yeah. No, you're like Tom Brady trash talking, you know, Dallas before last week. Like, you're going to, what are you? I'm Tom Brady. I'm the greatest the game has ever seen. I'm going to go out and stomp you and on my way to the next Super Bowl. Except he's got a way better track record than I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we, we just outlined all the ways that Kansas City's offense is still going to put up a ton of points. And then it's like, can Jacksonville hang with that? I, I don't know, but it doesn't feel that likely. All right, Giants and Eagles are up next. But first, the NFL playoff action. Of course, it's continuing. We're previewing it right here. We're one step closer to Super Bowl 57. And for the NFL divisional round, check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your NFL winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL divisional round and get 200 in free bets instantly. This is a no-brainer, by the way, because, again, I'm seeing the people that are uh, that are winning here. There's, uh, there's money to be had. It's only a DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. You get your $5 bet. 200 and free bets come back instantly. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, man, Saturday night, another rematch. Giants at Eagles, NFC East divisional battle. This is the first time in NFL history, I believe, right? Three out of four teams in the divisional round are from the same division. Hmm. Two years removed from the NFC East being the saddest division in football. Yeah, I mean, Philadelphia can make it to the Super Bowl without leaving the division. It's incredible. It really is. <laughs> Which, I, I guess, no, yeah, it's a that would be pretty impressive um so the the eagles are favored by seven and a half seven and a half you talk you said i'm getting mouthy mm -hmm. the giants are getting mouthy the giants, giants are getting fans mouthy. are getting mouthy they're getting well, giants mouthy. fans yeah so look if i'm going to play the brunel game and you know by um relive my teenage years let's play the the giants narrative games okay, okay? is it is it 2007 is it 2007 all over again no you've got a fourth year quarterback right yeah fourth year quarter remember Eli Manning back at the time wasn't even that good didn't even have good years 04 05 or 06 even in 07 wasn't even that good you're a wild card team you're on the road the entire time 
and you just keep winning. Just keep winning. And then they go and defeat. Have people been making this comparison? I no, mean, I'm making it right now. Because actually, there's there's way more parallels for this one than there is for the Brock Purdy as Tom Brady people. Oh, I thought you were going to compare it to the Jags because the Jags comparison is no. true. Right, because the year in '96, the Jags were four and seven and made the playoffs. Yeah, this Jags team was three and seven and made the playoffs. I can promise you that. But I'm the gonna... Giants in '07, there are some comparisons here. Year four quarterback who really hadn't done a whole lot to that point, making a Super Bowl run. Yeah, you can earning make... his place in Canton. Even you can make a case that Eli Manning doesn't get the next contract without that run which is exactly the situation that Daniel Jones is in right now, where they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Daniel Jones would not have got that contract if he's going to get one without this run. Let me give Daniel Jones some credit here. Okay. Right? When you go back and you look at the, the Eli Manning scouting report, there's a lot of like touchy-feely. He's, uh, he's going to work hard, and he's going to be the face of a franchise. And even if he's not as good as Peyton, you just, he handles adversity and all that stuff. And you heard the same stuff when Dave Gettleman was drafting Daniel Jones, right? <laughs> was there stuff? <laughs> Where's khakis? I hope there was stuff in the uh, in the scouting report that read exactly like that. Look, even if he's not as good as Peyton, there's Look, a lot of stuff in there. He's no Peyton Manning, but it's pretty good. No, every second brother at some point gets the, oh, he's better than his brother. He's better than his older brother. Every single, every single younger sibling. Nobody ever said that about Eli. Yes. No. At some point, At no point in his life because he's got a little better, better arm. Absolutely, like when he was going to Ole Miss, you could dig up something that's like he's more talented than Peyton. Not a chance. It's that whole. Um, I think I saw Marcus Spears is doing it on Twitter. Like Patrick Mahomes is more talented than Tom Brady, and people are like, no, Brady's got more rings, and they're like all debating. And it's like, what is talent? All right. So somebody somewhere along the way said Eli Manning is more talented Nobody. than Peyton Manning, which doesn't matter because the goal is to play quarterback better, not to be more talented. Whatever that is. Nobody in the history of the world ever said that including everybody within the Manning This family. might be pre-Google. We might, have not, might not be able to uh, find it. So, that's the story. Daniel Jones is Eli. This is his chance Okay, to be Eli. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. As well as Daniel Jones and the offense played last week, it's impossible to divorce that from just how bad the Minnesota defense is, which is the worst defense in the NFL, judged by yards and, and points, you know, and those kinds of things. Okay, if you go by EPA per play and stuff, it's a little bit better than that, but it's still garbage. Um, so this week, they're going up against the Philadelphia defense, which is just better across the board. They'll bring more pressure up front. They have better players in the back end. They run more diverse schemes in the middle. Like They have the ability to cause dramatically more problems for you than Minnesota did. So immediately, it should be a much more difficult job for that Giants offense. All right, you want the... Um You've been rooting for funny. Yeah, like to root for always. Funny. I have a funny scenario. Okay, the Giants and Cowboys win. Giants and Cowboys win. Cowboys are now hosting the NFC Championship. Yes. Now I don't know because you're big into billionaires, billionaires' thought process, and all that stuff. Because I, I just just from that, I have a hilarious way of that game ending. The sun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. The sun. Now, the problem is, I don't know what that looks like in January. because I don't know. There. I don't know. We never get to see right. January football. Sun, Late January maybe, football. Maybe that was the whole point. Maybe at that point, the sun is in the opposite direction. No, it never goes under the field. In winter, the sun's low. Right? The sun's low. But it also like, right go, the, it pivots. Like, it's, it's off angle. Like, the same way that the, what, the Manhattan hedge well, let's thing. Just, let's just picture the sun's in the right place. Okay. Michael Gallup's. I'm looking at our, our lights right now. I could see what this. Right. I'm, I'm already seeing spots. This could be the difficult. winning touchdown. Is the about winning to touchdowns land. in Michael Gallup's hands, and he loses it in the lights. Mm. 
which are very aesthetically pleasing for Jerry Jones. Yep. He loses it in the lights. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Jones and the Giants are off to the Super Bowl. That would be hilarious. There's your uh, – there's what you're rooting for. Absolutely. It has to be the Giants winning, though, because that's the only way Dallas can host the NFC Championship. Yes. Okay. I'm up for that. So that would be a five versus six seed NFC Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the game. Yeah. Uh, I do believe we overreact to Wild Card Weekend quite a bit. Okay. And you forget the teams that are on the bye are really good. Well, the other thing is, this is a weird game for a few reasons. Like, it's it's another one of those third-time matchup deals right yep. which are always weird because they have such a bad record it's very hard to beat a team in the nfl three times right blah blah, blah. um but i think generally that's simply because it's it's difficult to put together three winning games in a row particularly against teams that are in the playoffs because by definition those are three those are good teams um i got the stats though you want to hear them yeah i do because I, I know you hate these uh tom bliss from nfl football ops gave me the data because i was too lazy to look it up myself what do you mean he gave like, I asked. He gave it to me. You emailed him? No. I, I asked on Twitter because I was too lazy to look it up, and people answered. And he responded to mm-hmm. you. Look at you. like you Since. Just, you AP voter all of a sudden. You get whatever you want here. Since realignment. So 2002 with the introduction of the Houston Texans as a franchise. Uh, the third matchup between teams in the division has occurred 29 total times. The team looking for three wins has only achieved it five times. So five out of 29. What's that? Hold on. Say it again. Five out of 29. Oh, five out of 29? Well, it's uh, it's under 16.7%, so it's about 15. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, the matchup has happened 19 times in the wildcard round, seven times in the divisional round, and four times in the conference championship. Last year. Yes. We saw that. It's happened the four times. So the, of the five winners, it's happened four times in the wildcard round, and only once in the championship game. It's never happened in the divisional round. And by never, I mean since 2002. What's the latest uh, divisional round rematch? I don't know. We saw uh, Bucks Saints a couple years ago was divisional round. Okay, there was one. Yeah, interesting. Uh huh. So this is this is history. The Giants are shooting for here. So the Giants they're looking to become, or no, the Eagles. I guess the Eagles are looking, are looking to become the-, the first team to knock off. Uh, no, the Giants are looking to become the first victor. Oh, so the undefeated team is always won- no because the Bucks. No, were, you're right. The Nobody Bucks lost history. to the Saints. Nobody's shooting for history because it's always happened. So anytime these two, anytime yeah. teams that are two and zero versus the, their division rival, the play, Eagles would buck history here by being the first team to win a third time, but have it be in the divisional round. Uh, according to that number, no. Yeah, it just happened two years ago with the the Bucks beat the Saints in the divisional round, as after going zero and two against them. Okay. In other words, the underdog keeps winning this. Right. For some reason. Yes. Only in the division round, though. Matters not in Correct. the conference championship. Last year, the Rams – no, no. The Rams bucked the trends, too. They they beat the Niners for the first time. This is bad. This is really bad. <laughs> anyway, the point being – Quick distraction. Greg Roman stepped down as offensive coordinator for the Ravens. Stepped down? Yeah. He's uh, stepping away. Meaning – at least half the league now. Byron Leftwich was officially fired since we talked about it yesterday. Yeah. Half the league needs an offensive coordinator. Half the league. Just about, give or take. Hmm. Nine out of 32, 10 out of 32. That's quite a lot less than 16 out of 32. It's almost half. Not really. Sorry, I was trying to hey, save but you. My, my other point being, uh, the reason this is so weird is not just because of the three, the trying to beat the same team three times thing. It's because the second matchup between the two was week 18, where the Eagles rushed back Jalen Hurts for no good reason because they were still technically 
trying to lock up the number one seed, even though the Giants weren't treating this game seriously and therefore they were almost certainly going to win. Reps. But because they rushed him back, in part, the Giants rested everybody of consequence and the game was still really close. So that that's just like a confusing data point for several different reasons. So now you're like, well, if the, if the Giants' backups ran Philadelphia kind of close, doesn't that mean that their starters should make it a real game? You're like, well, okay, but if you go back to the first matchup, the Eagles just rolled. So I, I, what do you do with that? I don't think you take much from the actual results in previous games, except for when you're trying to read stats off, right? Um, it is interesting that the Giants' backups hung so tough against the Eagles. But Hurts was coming back off injury and was clearly rusty. That was mm. also the last time we've seen Jalen Hurts. Presumably, though, he's healthier Eagles, now. And, yeah, generally. Right, the last time we saw them. But, I mean, that's a big part of it, right? Like, Hurts throws a red zone interception. I mean, he just didn't play very well. He was he was different in that game. Um, I just want, like, the chat wants us to give proper credit to the Giants. But proper credit involves the context of who they were playing. Yeah. I mean, I just here's like, the here's the thing, right? When when someone says oh, PFF hates my team, like first off, obviously we don't. Um, we can't hate all 32 teams equally, um, but we have to. We have to hate all 32 teams equally. We have to love them all equally. Um, when we quote unquote hate a team, it's because there's probably some sort of underlying metric, right? Like wins and losses aren't the best metric to predict future wins and losses. There are other things, like how well you played and all that stuff. And when you do exceed what you should win based off of underlying metrics that historically are really good at predicting wins and losses you try you try to figure out why and i think when you when you where you, where you would want to give proper credit to the giants is the coaching staff and brian dable and mike kafka and everybody that's you know wink martindale and the high variance defense and luck luck is in there too you don't have to look any further than the minnesota vikings for why you don't just say well, let's just give credit where it's due. The Vikings have won all these games. They got one of the best records in the NFL. Let's talk about them as a Super Bowl contender. It's like, yeah, but like they haven't, th these wins have not been coming via a normal process. And this is why everybody all the way up to that game was sort of saying the Vikings are not in the same category as other dominant NFC record teams. They are a team that has been consistently kind of bucking the way this normally goes and at some point that's going to catch up with them like the Giants you need to come with the context of yeah they performed well on offense but they did it against arguably the worst defense in the NFL so of course they looked better on offense yeah like that's just common sense I also do want to give proper credit to uh, Daniel Jones particularly in recent weeks playing really well the other thing when you want to look back at previous matchups like when the Eagles uh, whooped the Giants 48-22, to 22. you didn't have any cornerback of note out there for the Giants. You've got guys like Nick McLeod playing corner for the Giants in that game in a Wink-Martindale system that didn't stop blitzing, that was still trying to, you know, trusted their corners one-on-one. -on -one. Nick McLeod and Fabian Moreau taking most of the snaps in that game. You have Adoree Jackson back right now. Adoree played a great game last week. Um, didn't really match up directly with Justin Jefferson, but they played a different game plan, played it a little bit safer. Um, Wink has blitzed the Eagles a ton. It's another one of those. Last week at this time, we said, oh, he won't change. He did. He completely changed. Like, he, completely different game plan against the Vikings. What's the game plan against the Eagles? Because he uh, hurts. No, no quarterback in the NFL has seen more blitzes 
from the Giants this year than Jalen Hurts. Because, you know, he played him twice. Yeah. But he's seen 64, um, I forget the exact number, but 64 passing grade on those plays. And when you go back and watch them, it's Hurts does some good things. He misses some throws on them. But they're tighter windows, right? It's like high-variance plays. If Jalen Hurts makes a great play, like you tip his cap and say, you, you made a great play one-on-one. I wonder if the Giants are going to do that or if they're going to make the Eagles play the patient game. Um, that's scary because they can do everything, right? They can run it. They can throw short. Um, they're going to run with Hurts. They can. They got the good offensive line. I think it's, it's a lot easier to say, Vikings, we're going to take away your big plays. We're going to take away Justin Jefferson. Be patient. But against the Eagles – they can they can carve you up because they have all a lot of other answers. That so the idea of it's very difficult to beat the same team three times in a season. A lot of that, the, like the narrative to that, is always well. Once you've seen them three times or two times already, you're you get a great idea, insight into what they do. You know tendencies. You understand what they're doing schematically. You can therefore adjust and beat them better the second time. Doesn't it feel like if that's going to help anybody, it actually helps the Eagles more than the Giants? Because the Giants are the team with the sort of weird coaching scheme on both sides of the ball. On defense, you've got the most blitz-happy team in the NFL by a distance. So by definition, you're not seeing a defense like this outside of New York, right? And then the other side of the ball, you've got Brian Dayball on that offense, which is consistently getting more than the sum of the parts and outperforming what the talent level says they should do. So if anybody's going to get more insight after two games, seeing the same team, it feels like, Philadelphia is going to be further along to figuring out why this scheme works than the Giants are looking at Philadelphia's, which is just good. Um, I mentioned last week, right? Daniel Jones, number 20 all-time in rushing yards for in a season by, by a quarterback. Um, Jalen Hurts is obviously in that mix as well. I mean, this is – it's a different-looking game as well because you have so much reliance on quarterback run game. Vanilla Vic. That's what they were calling him. They're calling him – Really? You heard? <laughs> Don't go there. I haven't called I him that. I'm just saying some people are calling him that. Some people are calling him that. Some people are calling him sneaky fast. Mm. Some people are, you know, long strider, Daniel long Jones. Strider. Long strider. Some people are calling him. Some people are calling him better than Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Like that one guy, Giants fan. Mm. Some people. Lunatics. Lunatics. Um, but I want to give Daniel Jones credit. Like he has played well. And... I go back to those whole, like, the scouting report things and everything. I mean, he's, he hasn't looked like the moment's too big for him and this and that. He's played pretty well. Not down the stretch when the Giants needed him. And the other thing is we've seen the emergence of the Giants receivers. Isaiah Hodgins has been fantastic this year. You know, Travis Fulgham breakout for the ages type of deal, like, out of nowhere. Hey, Isaiah Hodgins is a thing now. At, at what point do we – start acknowledging that maybe the receivers aren't as bad as we thought because a guy like Hodgins has stepped up and Richie James has stepped up. Um, but um, speaking generically here, this will come down to the red zone and those plays and all that stuff. The Giants have schemed it up in the red zone. They've always got some kind of trickeration. I think they're going to play the underdog role really well here as well. Um, and maybe this is one of the changes in the NFL where for years when – the best team, you know, teams were favored by eight, nine, ten points. The other team didn't always play underdog, right? They didn't always play that role. They didn't always go for the extra fourth downs. We saw the Giants last week as three-point underdogs just say, this is how we play. I'm not taking the field goal. I'm going for fourth and one. I'm taking the QB sneak when it's there. I'm not going to, you know, just kick a field goal to take a lead because that's what you always do. The Giants are going to play this game the right way. Now, the Eagles are going to do it too, but 
it does make this matchup fascinating for maybe the Giants and their ability to uh, to try to keep it close. Yeah, I mean, the big question is simply, does this Giants offense function the same way against a legit defense, not against the Minnesota Vikings or another comparable bad defense? So, yes, they've been on a nice run of improved play, of Daniel Jones looking great at the offense, doing some good work against bad defenses. Now they get to face Philadelphia, who has – one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, arguably the best, who have legit corners on the back end, who have a good defense. So question number one for this game is, can they put up the kind of points or just have the kind of offensive success that they've been having in the last few weeks? Because if they don't, now all of a sudden you're asking, well, what can Wink Martindale's defense do against Jalen Hurts at the third time of asking? Um, The other matchup to watch here, we saw Dexter Lawrence absolutely wreck Mm -hmm. Minnesota in all aspects, particularly every time they drop back to pass. Um, he did not play in the Week 18 game against the Eagles. He had pretty good success, success in the Week 14 game. Obviously, it didn't matter. The Eagles scored points. But that matchup with Jason Kelsey yeah. is awesome. It is. Um, he has an absolute ton of pressure, specifically lined up at nose tackle. Like, he he lines up as a sort of true old-school head-up-over-the-center nose tackle more than most defenders in the NFL do, but also he's ridiculously effective when he does. And it's particularly effective against guys like Garrett Bradbury, these undersized centers that in today's NFL, you're not used to dealing with those guys anymore because teams don't play that way. Like teams don't play with the old school, two-gapping monster nose tackle who's playing head up over the center and weighs 350 pounds. Nobody has those anymore, or if they do, they're lining them up like in gaps and they're playing the same way that everybody else plays defense. But the Giants actually line Dexter Lawrence up there and all of a sudden position him over a guy that he's outweighing by a ton, that he's stronger than, that he's longer than, and causing the most all kinds of problems. Now, Jason Kelsey is the other end of the scale from Garrett Bradbury in terms of overall quality. He's arguably still the best center in the NFL. He's right up there with Creed Humphrey this year in terms of all pro but a he is undersized relative to the position and b um he's always been weaker as a pass blocker than he is as a run blocker particularly if you can isolate him in pass protection so if he's not you know helping with the guard but he's actually trying to deal with a guy like dexter lawrence one-on-one that is a weird area where you wouldn't think the giants have an advantage but i think they probably still do against what is the best offensive line in the nfl do you want some really quick? Do you want some uh, statistical malpractice? I'm gonna pull bring to the table here. Statistical malpractice. Since week 13. Yeah. It's an arbitrary cutoff, mm-hmm. but it makes for a good point. Daniel Jones, number two quarterback in the league. By PFF grade. By PFF grade. Okay. 89.2. Yeah. Dating back to week 13. That is indeed. Passer rating. Rushing grade. Everything. Everything's good. Yeah. So, and uh, and Jalen Hurts is only 15. Uh So you could say, I mean, you could turn the tables here. Where is he in yards and points over that time? I don't have points, but yards, he's 12th. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but I mean, you don't. You got to add rushing in there as well. That's just passing yards. Probably got like a thousand rushing yards in that time. Because he's. um, Vanilla Vic. Vic. Some are saying. Where is he? Where is he in yards? Oh, I'm in. Let's get quarterback. Let's get some non-running backs here. Number one in QB rushing yards. Yeah. 334 since that time. Right ahead of Justin Fields. It's basically better than Justin Fields. 
Yeah. Well, at running. At running. And better at passing than everybody but Joe Burrow. That's what <laughs> Daniel Jones is. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why the Eagles are favored. The Giants are a great story. I will say if, they'll, if, if they play like last week, I know it's not the same circumstances. It is a similar defense, a better defense, similar style defense. If they play like last week, the Giants have a shot. I think they have a shot to keep it close, and it comes down to this whole, you need some plays. Um, but I keep coming back to the Eagles being the best all-around team in the league. They can rush the passer. The addition of former Giant James Bradbury has been unbelievable for that secondary. Him, Slay, the linebackers, TJ Edwards, they've played well this season. And then offensively, they can run, they can pass, and they adjust. Um, they win, or they play whatever style they need to win, right? We've seen, we, we've seen weeks this year where A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith had almost every single target. We've seen weeks where Dallas Goddard is the guy. Weeks where Jalen Hurts has run the ball 18 times because that was, that's what was there. Other times where they have their running backs and they rely on their offensive line. The Eagles have answers for everything. And the times where they've lost – one time with Hurts under center, they've turned it over, right? They've made bad decisions. They've fumbled it, whatever it is. If the Eagles play their brand of football, they should win this game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. Um, the – what was I going to say? The other, the other significant, I think, change is the Eagles should have Lane Johnson back at right tackle. Um, he's been dealing with some kind of hip adductor injury or something like that. He missed the last couple of games of the regular season – you could see the difference when he wasn't in there and when Jack Driscoll had to man right tackle, it gave them a legit weak link on that offensive line for teams to target. If he's back out there and if he's anything like 100%, again, Philadelphia has the number one offensive line in the NFL and a line that's very unusual because it has no weaknesses. All five guys are at the very minimum average starters, if not better. And that just, I mean, that doesn't give the Giants defense much like room to get joy. It, so that's that's what will also be interesting about um, Wink Martindale's decision to blitz versus last week. I feel like it was half, you know, take advantage of the Vikings offensive line, yeah. and then half, I do I trust Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and then Kayvon Thibodeau, right? And this do also, I trust those guys to just win, and I can rush four rather than blitzing. I don't know that you can trust those guys against the Eagles, but maybe he still will. And Johnson being back potentially allows them to give help elsewhere to right. guys like Jason Kelsey who might sure. find themselves otherwise one-on-one -on -one with Dexter Lawrence. Like Lane Johnson gets less help than any offensive tackle in the NFL. They, he's sort of the offensive line equivalent of Revis Island, right? They just leave him one-on-one -on -one with his guy, and then they can move everything else in the opposite direction. So if they're now able to dedicate extra help to the inside – all of a sudden, maybe Dexter Lawrence doesn't wreck shop against uh, Jason Kelsey, who he outweighs by an absolute ton. Um, so Lane Johnson being back doesn't just necessarily help because he can win one-on-one -on -one with his guy, but it potentially also helps the other guys. All right, man. It's a Saturday night game. Eagles favored by 7.5. Do you want my pick first? Sure. I'll take the Eagles. Damn it. I'm taking the favorites. Yeah, so am I. Um, I think we've both gone out of our way to paint a picture of how the underdogs can make these games, but I'm going to go by my um, I'm going to go with my standard of don't overreact to Wild Card Weekend. I'm not going to overreact to the Giants and Jags hype. Although the other funny, there's one more funny thing you can root for. Mm -hmm. Another Josh Allen game. Another Josh Allen game. Jags Bills AFC. Oh, Josh Allen, Josh Allen game. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Another Josh Allen versus Josh Allen game 
or Josh Allen sacks Josh Allen and everybody gets mad. Austin Gale gets really mad about those tweets, but everybody tweets it. Mm. Josh Allen forces a fumble on Josh Allen to go to the Super Bowl or something like that. Yeah. It's not as funny as losing the ball in uh, no. Jerry's son. Not even close. But uh, just something to keep an eye on. We're almost to Sunday's games. Sweet. But first, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up this playoff football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their Pick'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up with promo code PFF, and Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100. It's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action <coughs> today. You need to uh, give a little wave to the camera. Uh, my friend's young baby, Ava, is watching you. Likes your jersey. Oh, Ava, hi. I go, will give you... Go 90s Jags. I'll give you $10 right now if you can correctly spell Ava. Ava. Um, it sounds like an E, so it's probably like A-I-G-H-A or something like that. A-I-V-A? No. E, father. Uh, A-B-H-A. No V in it. B? B-H. B-H. Makes a V sound. Huh. So I had some. I mean, you had the right. I had logic. some, yeah, consonants that shouldn't go together yeah. to make a different sound. Right, right. We're in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Close. Ava. That's E V A, by the way, not E P A. No, not E P A. That's, that's Ava. Mm -hmm. All right, we're on to Sunday. Sunday. Bills, hosting, the Cincinnati Bengals. Three o'clock. It is your. I mean, it should be the best game of the weekend. It looked like it was going to be one of the games of the season. Bengals at the Bills. Bills are favored by five and a half. Now, that Monday night game, the DeMar Hamlin game, of course, the Bills were favored by one. Basically a pick em On the road. On the road in Cincinnati. So, you know, the general rule, you give two and a half, three points to the home team. This is saying that the, the market's moved a little bit closer to the Bills than it was just a couple weeks ago, just in week 17, right? The market's moved a little bit closer to the Bills. Both teams coming off of games where they didn't cover, right? They didn't dominate the Dolphins and Ravens respectively so it doesn't feel as good but we still know these are two of the three best teams in the AFC yeah although potentially like if you dial down the impact of home field advantage which I think is happening for betting lines certainly now but for a while I think that, like the line has actually moved like a reasonable chunk because you know you say so if it's toward, one and a half toward the bills yeah yeah so if it was like one and a half right it would have been Cincinnati by a half point last time and then one and a half now it's buffalo by four so it's a it's you know it's quite a lot and it's gone through you know significant uh number in doing that um i wonder how much of this is just the bengals offensive line i mean it has to be basically all of it right they've and lost three starters in three weeks we always talk about we always talk about how much um one player moves the spread and it's it's really the quarterback right the quarterback has this number attached to them um, the best quarterbacks, it's like seven or eight, right? If you lose Patrick Mahomes and you have to play Chad Henney, you're losing seven points right off the top before mm -hmm. anything else happens. And any non-quarterback can barely move the needle. Like even Mike Williams and the Chargers and all that stuff barely moves the needle. How much would Vaughn Miller, if he was healthy, <laughs> move the needle when you combine it with the offensive line, right? The Bills don't have that, obviously. So I'm sorry. But you've got a still a pretty good defensive line that can create pressure and as i tried to say on the other on the show the other day the offensive line doesn't show up maybe every single play 
but key runs, getting into second and long if you miss a block, and then when it does get into third and long, just not giving Joe Burrow enough time. We've seen Cincinnati overcome it to a point, as in they won games, but it was not a very effective offense last year on their Super Bowl run, right? They had those rough games, including the divisional round against the Titans, where Burrow got sacked nine times. Yeah, I mean, so I think we saw last season that they are capable of overcoming a bad offensive line. Now, you can argue now that this line might even be worse than it was last season, but it's a lot of the same guys. Like, that's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, last season showed that it's definitely capable of overcoming that, but it makes everything so much harder. Like, now Joe Burrow has to think about that pretty much every single play. They need to get the ball out of their hands quickly. It limits what they can do. It just makes it more difficult. Um, on the other hand, though, Buffalo has not had the kind of pass rush that they had earlier in the season when Von Miller was there. When right. he was there, they had arguably the number one pass rush in the NFL. I think they were certainly until he, or certainly earlier in the season, but I think it might have been until he went down, they were the number one team in the league in pressure rate. They were uh, either one or two in terms of the lowest blitz rate in the league. They essentially relied on front four to get pressure, and they were getting pressure as much as anybody. Since he went down, both of those things have changed. They have been getting progressively uh, less pressure, and they've had to increase the amount they blitz to try and offset that, and still hasn't done it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's it's obviously going to be a major storyline. I think a lot of times we see the, the pass rush that is struggling. The, the antidote is a bad offensive line on the other side. So will Buffalo get pressure there? How will Joe Burrow handle pressure? Um, but, I mean, it's really – let's oversimplify this. It's Burrow versus Allen, man. It's who's – I know they're not playing heads up. People hate when you do that. Heads up, quarterback versus quarterback. Who's going to play better in this game, given their circumstances? Josh Allen has been dealing with these turnovers or turnover-worthy plays all season. Um, he's overcome them because he makes an incredible number of big-time throws. Last week, showing seven big-time throws versus three turnover-worthy plays. You don't get much, you know – crazier than that at some point you don't want him to throw the ball to the defense like you don't need to have one to have the other right um some of the plays he's made they weren't just aggressive plays other you know it's just like you just didn't see a linebacker so don't do that and then from a burrow standpoint so much of his greatness is you know tight window throws he's got you know one of the uh, highest completion percentages and tight window throws and there's so many plays where you talked about the the Chiefs, right? They get backed up. It's third and long. The Bengals have a, a slew of these plays too, where it's like, oh, you got him to third and ten. Well, Burrow's going to hit this. He's just going to hit an index card on Jamar Chase's hands in the end zone, in the end zone for a touchdown, or along the sideline for a first down. Those are fine margins, and I think that's what we're looking at in this game. Will Burrow make those tight window throws? Will Allen make those turnover worthy plays? that he's shown a lot of the season here. The other thing that was key sort of last year's run with the bad offensive line, Joe Burrow had one of the best seasons in the NFL under pressure. And that's one of the things that you have to commend the Bengals front office for in the offseason was recognizing, and the Chargers did this as well when Justin Herbert had his first year, was recognizing that that is a really volatile, unstable metric. And you simply can't rely on a quarterback being superhuman against pressure every single year. So the only answer to that is, Make sure he's under less pressure and try and equalize the, the swings. So Cincinnati obviously went out and overhauled that offensive line. Um, but the chances are Joe Burrow will not be as good under pressure as he was during that run. But is that offset by the fact that the Bills don't have the pass rush that they had earlier in the season? I ran the numbers and checked it out. 
since Von Miller went down, Buffalo is actually below average in pressure rate. They're at 30% as opposed to the Eagles, who were at 44 and a half uh, over that same period of time leading the NFL. And the blitz rate for Buffalo has gone up 10 percentage points. They've gone from like 12% blitz rate to 22. So they're blitzing more often, and they're getting significantly less pressure. Basically, they have a much more inept pass rush than they did when Von Miller was there, which is huge for Cincinnati because they have three backups on the offensive line. Which could completely look different this week because of Cincinnati. It might look different for Buffalo here. Um, the little that we did get to see of that game, Joe Burrow looked great, man. I mean, he was uh, – the Bengals had some quick answers. I mean, Buffalo's defense in general, they're not – They've never been pure lockdown under Sean McDermott, but on the higher end, they're on the better end of defenses across the league, certainly. But from a pass game perspective, they just kind of, you know, prevented big plays and did a really nice job of making life difficult for opposing quarterbacks. Yeah, like it's, it's a little more hit or miss now. It's funny, though, like how much the perception on Cincinnati has changed in part because of that game. Like I just the watched, other, oh, the, which game? The DeMar Hamlin game that got abandoned. Yeah, yeah. Like, and obviously part of it is also that they've lost three offensive linemen in three weeks, which completely changes one unit, which is an, a pretty important one, right? But if you look at what their run-in has been, like look at the teams that they've faced and beaten um, with that one game that got uh, abandoned. But where since, you know, middle of the season, they beat Pittsburgh on the road, they beat Tennessee on the road. Okay, those maybe aren't quite as impressive as they could have been. But then they beat Kansas City. They beat Cleveland comfortably. They beat the Bucks on the road. They beat the Patriots on the road. That game against Buffalo gets abandoned, but at the point it did, they were looking really good. They were ready for the big game. They were ready for that stage. Right, right? and then they beat Baltimore back-to-back -back, You know, in, in two reasonably close games, or one, one reasonably close game and one game that was against Anthony Brown. Um, but if you put that game sort of back in the schedule and it actually ends up going this, the way it had for 18 plays, which is you know meaningless, but – like if that continued through and you add a victory against Buffalo to that, you would be saying Cincinnati's the best team in the NFL. Like yeah. this, this is the team to fear. Forget Kansas City with their one seed. Like the Bengals are it. But you take that game out of it, all of a sudden the NFL and their infinite wisdom drops them down to the three seed. They have to go on the road to Buffalo. And in the course of since that, they've lost these three starters. And now you're like, man, you know, all of a sudden we're like five and a half point dogs and – they're not seen in the, I don't think, in the same category. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we highlighted that on the show a ton, like that stretch. Did you? St I forget which game you started with, but even like the Titans game in Week 12 felt big at the time. I mean, yeah. they, they went through a huge stretch of, of some tough teams. Not every team was tough there, but like they, they didn't lose. They haven't lost since, uh, was it Week 8 when they laid an egg against the Browns? Mm -hmm. And that's the point I wanted to make too. Like Zach Taylor as head coach, we because we're short-sighted too I think we focus on did he go for the fourth down the right way did he is he running the ball too much remember like early Zach Taylor analysis was they're running too much and they're doing this and that I think what I've most been impressed with Zach Taylor about as head coach is he's he's evolved when needed right there was a point last season where they handed the reins to Joe Burrow and said hey go win games go throw for 450 yards and be our guy we're not going to only drop back 25 times and try to win with the run game they they've lost some tough games under Zach Taylor in the Bengals. Everybody loses, but they always bounce back. I've been so impressed with how they've bounced back from just um, just from sleepwalking through games that they should win. The Jets two years ago, Browns this year, and then the third one is in big games. 
the Bengals seem to bring their best in big games, even in the Super Bowl last year, right? Like you couldn't ask for much better than what they brought to the table. It's just Aaron Donald was too good, right? The Rams were too good. Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford were too good. So I think we're going to see the Bengals' best is what I'm saying in this game in Buffalo. Well, Bur Burrow's never lost in January, right? Isn't that a thing? Like dating back to like all of his yeah. career. And Trevor Lawrence is – we forgot the Trevor Lawrence stat. What's that? He's never lost on Saturday. Never lost on Saturday. Ever. Yeah. Like dating back to birth. Right. <laughs> back to birth. Yeah. <laughs> High school Saturday, because they usually play on Friday. Yeah. I'm sure he had a Saturday game in there. Did he? In college, he only lost on Mondays. Yeah. National championship. And then last week. Yeah. The two well, last two weeks. I mean, I think the same, the same idea with Joe Burrow. He's never lost in January. Listen, back to so if you trust the stats here, the, Gi uh, the Giants are going to win because the divisional round team that has if, lost the two always you wins. you trust the statistical malpractice. You have to trust the statistical malpractice here. Giants are going to win, plus Daniel Jones, better quarterback since week 13. Jaguars are going to win because Trevor Lawrence never lost on a Saturday. Hmm. Mahomes probably has a losing record on Saturday, going back to Texas Tech. Think about that. It's true. Right? And you've got Joe Burrow's never lost in January. Yeah. I can't wait till we have a stat for uh, Niners-Cowboys that's going to determine the game. <laughs> Brock Purdy. There's definitely a well, stat Bro for Brock Well, Brock Purdy's Purdy. never lost in the NFL. So that's True. Pretty, He's undefeated. It's pretty straightforward right. here. That will never happen. He just doesn't lose in the yeah. NFL. He's, him and Jeff Saturday are kind of like the same guy, except when Jeff Saturday was 1-0, he lost the rest of his games. When Purdy was 1-0, he won the rest of his games. Yeah. Same guy. Saturday's wasn't – the, the Raiders game wasn't on a Saturday, right? Because that, that would have been perfect. If he only won on Saturday if, and then couldn't win on Sundays. Trevor Lawrence owns Saturday, not yeah. Jeff. Well, we know this. You know. No, that was this is second, why people tune in. For that the was his second game, right? Because that was it. He, he was one and zero, and then then he was going. Then the next game was. The oh, Vikings then it was like Saturday on Saturday against the Vikings. Yes, no, because the Vikings game was Thanksgiving, wasn't it? No, no, no. That was the Saturday afternoon. Okay, I was Elf on that what? day. It was Saturday. You were. Yeah, I was Elf. I was dressed up as Elf. Just a random Saturday game. Yeah. Okay. We had a Christmas party. I was dressed up as Elf watching the game. That's what I remember. It wasn't Thanksgiving. I didn't dress up as Elf on Thanksgiving. That would have been silly. Yes. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, Ryan Nelson says two state championship games played on Saturday in high school. Trevor Lawrence won both. Okay. Mr. Saturday. The real Mr. Saturday. Yeah. So. That's all I got. I mean, we don't have much else to add here. Well, so the thing that you were, I mean, you were big enough, Zach Taylor. The thing that I think is most impressive about him is that this offense has become an awful lot less predictable. Yeah. Like last season, the biggest issue was they just telegraphed what they were going to do by alignment, by, you yeah. know, how the personnel groups, like everything about this offense was formulaic and teams understood how to combat it. Now, that's why so much of last season was predicated simply on Burrow to Jamar Chase, because Teams understood what they were doing, and generally they were able to combat it, but at some point the excellence of two superstar players is just going to invalidate whatever defense you're dialing up, right? This season, they become a lot less predictable, and so everything else can function as well. It isn't just relying on Burrow and Chase being better than you. They can actually beat you with scheme as well. Von Miller's still number two on the Bills in total pressures this year. Really? He hasn't played since, what, week 10 or 11, whatever it might 12, be. 12, I think. Um, so you still need – yeah, so I, I agree with you on the Bengals, right? Like the, even last week it was Jamar Chase short passes instead of just outside vertical down the field stuff. They, they have answers to, um, to problems now. So I think that's, that's part – so my point in all of that is I think the Bengals are going to bring their best. The Bills' best is still probably better than the Bengals, right? Because slightly – I mean, we're, we're splitting hairs here. 
But Josh Allen's best, and this is like when I ranked him just above Joe Burrow in the playoffs, Josh Allen's best is probably the best in the league. Yeah. Of anybody. But they're now in this really weird, they have this tightrope to walk between, we've seen in the past that when Josh Allen takes over games and in the playoffs, when he takes over games and there are things he does that you simply can't combat. Like he can neutralize anything you want to do because at some point he's just a better athlete. He's stronger, bigger, faster, whatever. Like you can have everything dialed up perfectly. You can have the correct answer in terms of defensive play call. And then he's just going to jump over two players and get a first down anyway. And you're like, well, what? Like there's nothing you can do about that. But if that's sort of like if you position it as like that's how Buffalo wins. When he does that, you can't stop it. And therefore they win the game. The flip side of that coin is what happened last week. And I know they won that game, but to what extent is like, well, this is all Josh Allen has to do this. And when Josh Allen has to do this, either he's unstoppable or you get plays where it's like, dude, just dial it back and settle down a little bit. Like you don't need to do it all every play, you know? So last week with but this- it's like a net win over time, right? Yeah, but it's like, still a net win. But, but it also in any given moment exposes you to big mistakes, which can change the outcome of the game, right? So sure. last week with this 17 yard average at the target, like can they, is he gonna come into this game still in that mode, like YOLOing it deep down the field for 20 yards per pop, like going, I need to do all this on my own. The, like I'm carrying this offense on my shoulders. It's me to digs to hell with everything else. Or are they going to come out with a little bit more like poise and let's just run an offense and see where we get to. Yeah. I, it is unbelievable. That style of play last week. We've, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I mean, it that looks level like, of aggression at all times of the game, even in the fourth quarter when leading, didn't that, matter. That looked like what would happen if you gave Ryan Fitzpatrick all of the physical tools in the world and just said, <laughs> go play. Yes. Like, what would that look like? It would look like last week, Josh Allen. Well, my point is it's a net win. And you know what? Here's the deal. Here's why that might work again this week. Do you trust the Bengals' corners? Like all season, injuries, Chidabe Awuzie being hurt, and everything that they've had to deal with back there. I think they've, they've made do, right? And – they do a great job scheming it up. They do a great job adjusting in the second half. Um, they have been able to make teams one-dimensional in certain games where DJ readers nonstop. Second half nonstop. adjustments are a myth. Peyton Manning said so. Yeah, I heard that. That's true. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It's I think just... it's probably true for Peyton Manning. Like, Peyton Manning adjusted on the fly every snap. But, like, I heard Kurt, Kurt Warner be like, well, we did stuff. and like, Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, everybody... But think of the way Peyton Manning played the game. Like, his entire game was about adjustment snap to snap. Like, it's I'm doing this, now you're doing this, I'm going to combat it, audible, Omaha, Omaha. Like, he was adjusting every single snap of the game. There are other players who are out there doing the more paint-by-numbers quarterback. Those guys will be adjusting at halftime. But the point is, and then all the other players, Jeff Schwartz, he was like, that's my experience. But like, everybody was basically saying the same thing, which was, A, teams adjust at all times during the game. You're not like, man, that was a tough drive. We'll talk about it at halftime, though. Yeah, we got the right. rest of the first and second quarter here, but we'll just wait till halftime, right? And the whole point he's trying to make is you don't wait till halftime and you don't literally, like, draw new plays at halftime. That's what he's trying to say. Right, but right? I would imagine that of anybody, Peyton Manning is going to be doing the least halftime adjusting of any player in human history. Yeah, because yeah, because his whole thing was having a, an answer to whatever's on the field. I get it. Um, but there is something about, like, you've seen X number of things, and once you see X number of things, you know how to adjust you know, to X. Yeah. And the Bengals do a really good job of that. Okay. In the, maybe, maybe they adjust at halftime. Maybe they start in the second quarter. Maybe it's the middle of the third. 
but they do adjust. How can the Bengals with Cam Taylor Britt, Eli Apple, who just got whooped last week, and these guys have all been battling injuries too off and on. Cam Taylor Britt, Eli Apple, how are these guys going to hang with Bills receivers? I mean, that's so for my point is Allen might want to play the same game as next as as last week. DJ Reader, immovable object in the middle. You're probably not going to get much joy, as you would say, in the run game if you're the Bills. Like it's all stacking up for another Josh Allen superhuman effort, or at least attempting that, which is, yeah, we're going to trust our receivers to win. I'm going to chuck it to them. And anytime we need a third down conversion, if it's short, I'm running maybe. If it's long, I might be running. I mean, Josh Allen's making the plays because I don't think you're relying on Devin Singletary and James Cook a ton in this game. No, I mean, so the other element, because all the attention is on Cincinnati's offensive line and the fact that they're down to bare bones and a bunch of backups and how that's going to go against Buffalo's pass rush, I think we're kind of skating over the exact opposite scenario, which is Cincinnati's defensive line is pretty good and Buffalo's yeah. offensive line is not. Um, and that's kind of being ignored in this whole matchup. Like, the Bengals are able to bring multiple impact problem players to the table that I don't think Buffalo is anybody capable of blocking. Like, can they block Trey Hendrickson one-on-one -on, -one on the outside? No. Can they block DJ Reader one-on-one -on, -one on the inside? Well, nobody else has. Like, they have some real issue players that the Bills' offensive line, which has not been good this year, I don't think is tremendously well set up to stop. I mean, I think it's not being – we mention it every week, right, because we're, we view the Bills – I mean, all of these teams as like, here are the juggernauts. What are the weaknesses that could come back to bite at some point? And we mentioned the Bills' offensive line all the way back to week one. But it hasn't yet, right? The offense hasn't been less effective. It's only been less effective, not necessarily because Allen's under pressure. I guess last week it was. He was under pressure and, and fumbled. But it's not because he's like, you know, under duress or anything like that. It's just, oh, yeah, Josh made a bad decision. I don't think the offensive line's held him down this year. They've been fine. And it's the same offensive line. Can the Bengals have some success against them, rushing the pass or stopping the run? Absolutely. Well, this is the weird thing about Allen is that he's got a very, very strange statistical profile this season where um, he's the number one graded quarterback under pressure and has been all year. Like he's, is he still posting? At one point he had a passer rating higher and over 100 when he was under pressure versus when he was not under pressure. Now it's down to 94 now for the entire season, which is still absurd. Um, but the number one graded quarterback in the NFL under pressure. But his grading um, falls off a cliff when you force him beyond his first read. So those two things don't mesh normally, right? Like you generally speaking – when you force a quarterback off his first read, a lot of his numbers are going to go down in part because you're going to be under pressure a lot more in those situations and quarterbacks play worse under pressure. What's happening here is if you can force Josh Allen off his first read but have him still comfortable and not under pressure, that's when he's making a ton of mistakes. But actually, as soon as he's, actually, as soon as he's really under pressure, somehow he zones back in and makes a, an insane running play or, or fires a bullet to somebody and makes a good play. It, that's it's weird that's josh allen man weird. i can't wait i can't wait for this game it's going to be awesome it's going to be i think we'll get the whole josh allen experience you're going to get the joe cool burrow experience where he's um not as maniacal but he has some of those plays in there too where he just decides he's gonna run around and extend plays and see what happens you've got uh, jamar chase and stefan diggs incredible playmakers on both sides I think the offenses are both going to have success. And what are we still looking at? 30 degrees? And where's Siciliano? 
Cecilia, you listening to the show here? Drop some, drop some weather for me here. Well, I just want something in the teens with some wind. Okay. I want some snowflakes. Well, so I got like good and bad news for you. Uh, some of which doesn't seem to coincide together. It's 37 degrees apparently. Week three mile an hour winds and oh, snow. Oh, I see some snow there. Don't you need how? Surely, the, what temperatures does it need to get to before there's snow? So that's a high, right? You're looking at the high. I'm just looking at the number that it puts in front of me. It doesn't say high or low. It just has the number. The number that you see is the high. Okay. The default is the high. So presumably, there'll be, no, there'll be temperatures lower than that. Okay. Cloudy. Snow showers developing in the afternoon, which is when this game's being played. High near 35. 5 to 10 mile an hour winds. Chance of snow. 60%. Snow accumulations less than one inch. Yeah, that's kind of mm. that's weak. So we might get a little aesthetically pleasing snowflakes, but that's about it. That's it. All right, man. Five and a half points for Buffalo. Where are you going? Ah, I'm going to lean Cincinnati, even though I hate. As I'm typing it in. Even though I hate. We're going to agree. Line. We're going to agree to all, looking that on way. all these. It's disturbing. Uh, remember, if the Bills and Chiefs win, we don't get to have. There'll, there'll certainly be no snow for the AFC Championship. Because it'll be in the Dome. It's going to be in Atlanta, in, in the, dome, the Dome, where nobody can buy Chick-fil-A, and we don't get an outdoor AFC Championship. Why Atlanta? Was it just because? Because every other Midwest, Northeast Dome failed. Detroit's busy. Failed? They're doing new turf, and Indy's got, like, probably some. Right, but forget the Dome. Why Outside somewhere. They wanted a Dome. The NFL wanted a dome. They're like, oh, here's a great opportunity to not have a weather game, to not have people slipping down, to have the quarterbacks throw for 400 yards apiece. And by the way, it's going to be Allen versus Mahomes in the dome if they play it. Hmm. Allen versus Mahomes in the dome. Oh, this is great. We're going to have a 50 to 47 game. Now. Right, because we saw last year those two get really hampered by bad weather. Oh, I mean, it wasn't that bad weather. It was, it was just freezing ass cold. So what? The cold's fine. All right, last game. Dallas Cowboys at the San Francisco 49ers. The mid-90s are back. I also love that last year these two teams played mm. in Dallas last time. Yep, the Debo Samuel taking over game. I was firing up the 92 uh, NFC Championship earlier today. 90, okay. Dallas beat the Niners uh -huh. in San Francisco to go to the Super Bowl. Just watching that in the background a little bit. Steve Young struggling with turnovers here mm. in the 92 playoffs. But he got the monkey off his back. They did it. Remember, he did it. They removed it. After the 94 Super Bowl. Yeah. But uh, three and a half points, the Niners are favored here. Dallas has signed a kicker to the practice squad. Are they going to elevate him? I don't know. The yips, I don't even want to. Let's not spend too much time on the yips. <laughs> it definitely can't be helping Brett Maurer's confidence, you know? By the way, there's now a guy waiting in the wings. You know, just, just in case you shank one during practice this week. <laughs> You're out of here. How do you, um, oh man, how do you deal with the yips? I've had teammates that had the yips throwing. Yeah. And uh, one of my college teammates, he could like he would grab a bucket of balls and just try to throw it, say, like, from me to the wall. And he would, like, throw one to the freeway or something. You know, just <laughs> miss it. And it. Like, he was really trying to, like, hit the wall, and he would overthrow the wall at our yeah. stadium, which was, like, 15 feet high. Right. And he was, like, hitting cars. Mm -hmm. And this was, like, before practice, just so we could play a game of catch. Yeah. It's bad. Mm -hmm. I also wonder, does it not affect 50-yarders? Is it only because that middle ground, it's almost like defending the Chiefs with 16 seconds or 13 seconds or whatever, where you don't want to give up a touchdown, but you don't want to let them get in the field goal range. And you kind of, you're like halfway in between. This new extra point is like, oh, it's a 32-yarder. I know? feel like. It's uh, not the 50-yarder where you're just letting it go. I've used this. We've, uh, 
Different analogy, same, same movie. But Tin Cup developed the yips at one point in the movie. I don't know if you remember or not. I do, right? yeah. And his solution to this was to wire him up with like 17 different forms of like swing gimmickry. And then he was like, well, now you're thinking about all these things. Think about all the other stuff. Yeah. So that's a common Hollywood solution because I don't know if you're familiar with the Major League series. But in Major League Two, the young uh, catcher had trouble throwing the ball back to the pitcher. Mm-hmm. And he would recite the um, likes and dislikes of the uh, playmate of the month. And he'd be okay. thinking about that. And before you know, he's throwing right. the pitch. You just got to stop thinking about your swing and your mechanics. So, Brett Maha, we've, we've got answers, man. Maha. Huh? Maha. Um, I'm just saying, the, the solution somehow is to get him to stop thinking about his kicking mechanics. I don't know how you do that. And uh, there, there it is, everyone. The longest time we've ever spent talking about kickers on the show. How about the real football player, Sam? Wow. Talk about what? Wow. The rest of the football players. Sorry. It's not what you said. The rest of the football players. Mm. Now we've got a lot of discourse in the YouTube chat about the uh, Chargers being the worst Super Bowl team of all time. <laughs> okay. Here's the, some perspective. I did stop watching that Super Bowl at halftime in order to play NBA Live 95 for I mean, Sega it was, Genesis. It was a pretty bad beat there. Yeah. But I'm, the most excitement I had that day was NBA Live 95 came out for yeah. Genesis. It was incredible. So we played that during the whole second half. Okay. And uh, boy, that game was good. Very good. It's a very good game. I was excited. First time I got to play that game. Uh huh. All right. Niners and Cowboys. It's time to talk about the game. <laughs> Closing in on two hours again. Yeah. What are you looking for in this one? Um, Cowboys coming off incredible wild card win, but of course the Niners were as well. Well, yeah, this is the game where it feels like you, know, you keep talking about the overreactions to wildcard weekend. This is the game that feels like it's most impacted by that because now yeah. the assumption is Dallas is back. You know, the, the Dallas team from last week is the one we're going to get. And if that team plays San Francisco, now you got a real barn burner. you got two really good defenses that can force turnovers and cause problems. And you've got two offenses that are going to put up a ton of points and score and make spectacular things happen. It's going to be great. But yeah, but what, what if that Dallas offense doesn't show up? Like, because it didn't for a while before that. I, I, I've said for a while, I think Dallas's best is really good, right? Uh, their, their high end is really, really good. And that was the other night, right? You get a, a, an effective offense. They scored five touchdowns. They have a, a run game when they don't give it to Zeke. That's effective. They have Dak making good decisions. They've got receivers and tight ends who can get open. They've got a good scheme. Defensively, they can rush the passer. Most of their coverage players are pretty good, but they can put together a full effort defensively if they bring that to the table this is a really good game man it's a really good game and if you look at the the Brock Purdy 49ers have they been challenged at this level yet no not at this level right I mean they not not even with winning teams that they've beaten and it, it sounds like because we have to talk about Brock Purdy every week it sounds like I'm just like waiting to tear him down but it's fair to say okay is this the week, right? Is this the week where it's a little more difficult? He had some jitters last week. He bounced back. He didn't play the greatest game. But that's like the beauty of the, the Niners system, right? When the quarterback doesn't even play his greatest game, we're still going to score touchdowns. The quarterback's actually going to throw for three and rush for another one. Um, but if he plays at the same level this week, is it different against Dallas because this pass rush and just the defense generally is far better 
than yeah. Seattle's. I mean, I'm just trying to run through numbers quickly and look at like what the best defense Brock Purdy has actually faced uh, from a number of different angles. Um, certainly in terms of EPA per play, he hasn't faced a top 10 defense yet, I it's don't maybe think. maybe the Bucks, but like the Bucks defense is weird because once they ran into any good offense like the Chiefs or the Niners, they got rolled. Right. I think it's actually Washington Cowboys. is probably statistically the best defense he's played. Um, if you look at passer rating against, like the passer rating each team has given up, he hasn't faced a good defense at all. Washington is the best one there at 18th. Um, pressure rate as a defense, by far the best one he's going to have faced is, or he will face is this Dallas team. Like nobody else is anywhere near. Again, Washington at 11th. So at the very minimum, we are kicking up in a pretty significant way the defense that he's going to be facing. Like he's going to have gone from borderline top 10 defenses in a couple of different ways to one that is legitimately one of the best in the NFL, certainly at high leverage problem situations, pressure rate, turnovers, those kinds of things. Now, does that make any difference against Kyle Shanahan and his wizardry, or is that actually going to cause some problems? And Bobby Slowick? Bobby Slowick. I mean, so I mentioned last week, right, if you're if you're identifying a weakness on Dallas, it's like, all right, Trayvon Diggs is is their best corner. He's their best playmaker. He'll give he'll give up some yards and all that stuff. But you, you know, if you're choosing who you want to attack, it's everyone else. Um, J. Ron Curse played in the slot the other night. They've had Deron Bland play outside and in the slot. But that other cornerback has been the weakness. Shanahan isn't the scheme that's like just attack this corner. Hmm. But they have all of these playmakers, right? They have their answers to whatever you throw at them. So the, again, that's where it's like you you have confidence in Shanahan and his offense because. He's called good. He's called plays well. Purdy has executed, and then by the way, you got to cover Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Every week, we just list all these guys. So it's just it, this is just going to be completely different for Dallas's defense this week, where they're they're not facing the now fired offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, an aging Tom Brady. They're facing the Niners, who are going to figure out a way to get some open receivers here. Yeah, um, they they obviously. We talked about them facing the playoffs last year. That was a pretty quiet game from Micah Parsons. Um, but then they also, the 49ers, were able to keep him off the line of scrimmage for most of that game. Like, that was one of those games where he was lined up as a true linebacker, not as an edge rusher, which isn't really the case this year. How Micah Parsons does as a full-time edge rusher deployed against Trent Williams and the rest of that offensive line I think will be pretty interesting. Same people are, you know, Parsons doesn't have many sacks the final six games of the season, but yeah, he's, it's not about just the sack totals. It's the, it's being all over the place and creating havoc and creating pressure. Um, Dallas still has that. Purdy against pressure, man. I mean, that's going to be a big one too. It's not going to be necessarily a blitz heavy attack from the Cowboys. It's not about blitz recognition. It's about those one-on-one -on -one matchups up front. It's going to be awesome. But we've got the, a lot of the debate with the defensive player of the year. We get this Nick Bosa versus Micah Parsons matchup as mm -hmm. well. Whoever wins should just get Defensive Player of the Year, right? Get your vote. <laughs> yeah. Should get your vote. Vote's already in. Oh. Yeah. Anything? It's a regular there? season award only. Has anyone anyone attacked you on anything? Has anyone uh, suspected anything? Suspected? Yeah. You the one guy? Oh, I think that's no. Did you get attacked for that? I mean, I put my ballot out there, so if anyone looked at the PFF, how I voted, okay, just it's... Wondering. It's there. There's a lot of times it's like, who did the Bobby Wagner thing? Who did this one thing? Like, who voted for Devin well, White so for All-Pro? Nick know? Wright had this thing after the, the All-Pro votes came out where he ranted that there are, there are votes 
that are bad enough that somebody should automatically lose their vote next year, right? I actually think that's a true statement, but I think... But somebody would use that against you. Yes, so that's the thing, right? So he was arguing Mahomes was 49 votes for first-team All-Pro and one that didn't, right? So one guy had somebody else other than Mahomes as a first-team All-Pro. And he was like, that vote is bad enough that that person should be like, okay, you don't vote next year. Um, and I would be that guy for Nick Bosa, right? 49 guys had Nick Bosa as first-team All-Pro, and I didn't because, to me, there's three first-team edge rushers that are at that quality, and somebody had to, had to miss out. And when you look through all the various data points, it's almost impossible to split those guys. And the only way you actually found to split them was difficulty of assignment and those kinds of things where Parsons and Miles Garrett both look better than Nick Bosa does, right? Essentially arguing that when you look through the actual assignments based off, is he being blocked by a tight end or a running back? Does that tackle have help? Who was the tackle he went up against? All those kinds of things. When you do that, Nick Bosa looks slightly worse than the other two guys. And therefore, his production is actually being inflated by those things, right? So to me, I think you can make the case. Anyway, my point being, I think it's way easier to justify the argument of the one vote that doesn't vote for a dude that 49 other people did than the one guy that thinks that um, Jonah Williams was an all-pro. To me, that's the one vote that needs to be asked some questions. So it's not the, not the one who didn't vote the 50. It's Correct. Like, it's like the, it's like it's the, the one. one guy that voted somebody absolutely insane as an all-pro because some guy thinks that Jonah Williams, who led the league and gave up 12 sacks, was the best left tackle in the NFL this year. That guy needs to have some questions asked about it. Name names. Good name I don't names. know who it was. Um, let's go back to Niners offense and Cowboys defense here really quick. Sure. Christian McCaffrey, you know, we've got uh, <clears throat> last year with the Rams, the story was the Rams went all in. They went all in. Got Von Miller, gave up two day two picks for Von Miller, half a year of Von Miller. Let's play that storyline a little bit here for the Niners. They've given up a ton of draft capital for Christian McCaffrey. And so far, the offense has been spectacular with Christian McCaffrey and Brock Purdy. We've got uh, confounding variables here. Shocker. Two, two changes. Um, how much of this is a McCaffrey game against those Dallas linebackers, Leighton Vander Esch? Um, you know, can they, can they keep up? Anthony Barr, get Anthony Barr in space? It's been it's a pretty be big bounce back year for uh, Leighton Vander Esch. Has been. Like he, he's had such a weird career. He started off, looked like the best linebacker in the draft class. Uh, was really good right away, and then absolutely nosedived. Dealt with injuries as well. And now it's kind of bounced back to being a really important part of that defense again. Him and Tremaine Edmonds, two guys, they were our two favorite guys to debate that year because they were young. Well, one was young, one the was other young was inexperienced. In, yeah, one was young yeah. in age terms. The other one was young in playing time terms. Right. And it was really. a fascinating case Who has study. more upside, right? Who's yeah. going to be better? And even now, like however many years later, it's like I don't actually know the answer to that still question. Still don't have the answer. Right. But they're still playing. They're in the final <laughs> eight here, divisional yeah. round. And they're still playing. And they're both having their best years um, in a while. At least Van Der Esch was his rookie year. But that matchup, right? All of the Debo's in the backfield. He's out wide. We talked about on Sun, um, on the review show. There were plays where Debo's the running back and McCaffrey's the receiver. And the defense has to just match up, right? And um, I want to give Dan Quinn a ton of credit for what he's done with this defense, right? He, coming from the Seattle scheme where they didn't change a whole lot. And he didn't change a whole lot in Atlanta. He has changed his scheme over the last year and a half plus, almost two years now, played to Micah Parsons' strengths, played to his, uh, to his team's strengths, 
the biggest thing they're going to do this weekend, I think, is just lining up. No, not blowing a gap, not leaving a 68-yard run on the table for McCaffrey mm. like the Seahawks did. Lining up and letting your playmakers play. I mean, it's the only way to maybe handle this Niners offense. Yeah. I mean, this the 49ers offense is so difficult to stop just because they will stress you every single play simply from an alignment point of view. Like Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle are all in the huddle. A, what personnel group do you even line up with? Like, what are you combating that with? Yeah. And then B, where the hell are they about to line up? Because it could be anywhere. Any of those guys pretty much could line up pretty much anywhere on the, off or on the offensive formation. And you need to be able to adjust to that with within your defensive play call. Like, that's not easy. And you've got to do it, by the way, in like 15 seconds. That's every time. Every time they line up. Like, Dan Orlovsky had this big thing of, after the uh, Miami Dolphins mess up on fourth and one where they couldn't get the play call in, right? He was, you know, this big thing sort of looking, showing what a play call looked like, right? And how... I have, I have a take on that. Go ahead. Okay. Basically that calling a play within 40 seconds is not that easy. Like there's a lot that goes into it, more than you think. When you actually game it out and all those, the steps involved, it's, it's like a minor miracle to get this done every single play. I would simply make that point that on the defensive side, this is happening as well, right? You have a very short period of time to figure out who's in the huddle, who are we going to match up that with personnel-wise, and how are they going to deploy, and how are we going to match that within a defensive play call that we're working from and get all that figured out and aligned before they snap the ball. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot to it, man. It, it, it does, the way you said it, stresses the defense from an alignment standpoint and all that. My only thing on the Orlovsky thing, I think on his point on fourth and one, where you thought they thought it was first down, and mm -hmm. then like that's a challenge. What I always find funny is when like somebody goes on TV and just reads a football play, and everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, that's incredible!" It's like, yeah, but like, it's just, everybody knows that language. Like it's not that incredible. Yeah. It's, it's literally the job. The point to call the play. Yeah. Your the job is to call the play. It's difficult for the viewer at home to call a play. It actually shouldn't be difficult for an offensive coordinator to call a play in time. The of fourth course. and one thing is different. The no, the, I mean the but thing, they had a whole the whole fourth quarter was a mess for the for the Dolphins. The thing I think that it, that it, he is trying to convey, which I think is a good point, um, is like when you're sitting on your couch and all you're doing is waiting for the next play to start. Forty seconds is a, is an age, right? Sure. When yeah. you're actually playing the game, it's amazing how quickly the play clock sneaks up on you, and it's like, oh crap, we got five seconds left to snap this. Let's go. Like, I've been in offensive huddles before where, because, you know, at certain levels, I think the ref will sort of give you a shout, 10 seconds, that kind of thing, yeah. right? And it's like, holy crap, there's, we're already at 10 in the play clock, yeah. right? we got to get this thing snapped now. That, I think, is the part that is, is a good point to sort of try and convey to people that haven't been in a huddle is how quickly 40 seconds can disappear after a play when, you know, maybe some people celebrating, you've got to move the whole thing, you've got to get the play call. Like, there's a lot that goes into 40 seconds that you're not doing when you're just watching from the couch, yeah. right? No, I get it. I, I'm just, I, so I, I get that, right? I, I made that point earlier this year too when I was talking about Nathaniel Hackett, right? Who'd been calling plays forever. And it was like, well, now you have to call plays and manage the game. Right. It's fast. It is a fast game. And you want to get to the line so you can see the defense and understand what's happening there as well. So I, I get that point. But um, so yeah, there's a lot going on on that side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, a very good Niners defense going mm -hmm. up against a very good Cowboys offense. It looks like Jason Peters is not going to be able to play at left tackle. I assume that puts Tyler Smith back at left tackle. Tyron Smith staying at right tackle. Connor oh, yeah. McGovern comes in at guard. 
that would yes. be. Like, they they get the Biotish back? Biotish is back again. Yeah, he was okay. there the other night. So he was, he's at center. Right. McGovern will come in to guard. guard. Um, but that's another thing. The Dallas has been working with this offensive line reshuffle the entire last few weeks of the season. Yeah. It felt like that was a big part of their inconsistency, especially running the ball. They have not been as effective running it, but they were good running it with Tony Pollard the other night. It's been really bad with, uh, with Zeke. Yeah. I mean, this has been the story for years now. Like the disparity. level, though. It kind of has, This looks like Zeke looks like Arizona Cardinals Emmett Smith right now. The disparity, though, between Pollard's numbers and Zeke's numbers over the last couple of years is insane. Like, it's madness that they are still operating under any kind of equal split. Yeah, we should get more Tony Pollard involved. To be fair, a lot of the Zeke stuff is in the red zone as well. But even then, it's like, does that really matter? Well, also, not only does... Only tight. I mean, like... The one or two yard line, but you know, not only you got like stuff didn't get you that touchdown. The that's other day. the thing. Like, not only is it does that really matter, but the other thing is like, should that even be the case? Like, if this guy is this ineffective running the ball in general circumstance, why are we giving him the short yardage stuff over um, Tony Pollard? Like, shouldn't we actually just say maybe Pollard would be better at that as well? Um, one question I have for Dallas: whether you have Maha, or new kicker, or whatever it is. Stop saying Maha. What's his name? Maher. That's Maha. It's not. It really is. Maha. Do you just go for two every single time? Well, I mean, he's even going to be the kicker. Yeah, but whoever you have was just on the street a week ago. Do you? I mean, you trust them for extra well, points. Well, we know, but like, but if the kicker isn't Justin Tucker, the chances are he's equally interchangeable if you just dragged him off the couch. I mean, the 33rd best kicker in the world, you still trust them kicking an extra point, presumably, yeah. right? But – we, we've seen the strategy. The, the Steelers did this when they first moved the extra point back. They were like, we'll just go for two every time. They started this before that. They were like, it might be a better strategy to go for two over time. Does, does Dallas get into that world? Maybe. I mean, only if the guy shows up and shanks the first two extra points. Like, I think you're probably going to give him that before you do anything. Um, since the start of the 2021 season, Zeke Elliott versus Tony Pollard. Zeke is averaging 3.9 yards per attempt. Tony's at 5.3. Zeke is averaging 2.7 yards per attempt after contact. Pollard is at 3.7. Uh, Pollard has 10 more explosive runs despite 50 fewer attempts. More than 50 fewer. Oh, God. A lot fewer. What do we got? 60. Did you, Look at you. 150 Matthew, fewer Matthew attempts. Maher. Uh, Maher. Everything is a lot better. Everything. He's got double the number of uh, broken tackles per attempt. It's night and day. Get the ball to your playmakers more often. C.D. Lamb. But one of the biggest plays in that Bucks game, I don't know how much you want to give Mike McCarthy credit because they went for it on fourth and three. Was that just because they couldn't kick? <laughs> right? Probably. Because it's funny because he stumbled into the right play. Right? He stumbled into the right answer. And the thing that happened there, I think they had third and two, and they got stuffed on third and two, and they went backwards. And I always talk about this. Like if the coach, if you lose yardage on third down, are you less likely to go for it on fourth? The Cowboys went for it on fourth, presumably because they were like, we can't kick, we're not doing that. And they scored a touchdown on it, right? There's so many of these plays that are showing up in the playoffs. The Ravens only made it a game because they were aggressive on fourth down. The Giants won against the Vikings because they were aggressive on fourth down. If there's a Kyle Shanahan weakness, maybe he's not as aggressive in these situations. Mike McCarthy actually has maybe the advantage here. He's going to be more aggressive and and he's going to play the underdog role again. So it's at least 
three out of these four matchups, I think the team that's the underdog might also have the coach, not the coach advantage, but they have a coach who's going to play the underdog role and have a chance to pull that upset. I think there is definitely an argument that Kyle Shanahan is too conservative in those situations. And I think it gets worse when he gets into the postseason. I think Shanahan has been scarred by previous, not even screw-ups, just previous bad results, previous bad outcomes in the postseason and in the the biggest situations. Like that Super Bowl, 28-3, that's a scar that that guy deals with during games. Like when things start to go south, that's repeating in his brain as he's calling plays, as he's deciding, do I go for it? Do I play conservative? Like, what do I do? As does the guy on the other side calling defense against him, Dan Quinn. Sure. Another interesting matchup. These two people are just traumatized by one game. Did you hear the uh, Richard Sherman story with uh, Kev Clark about how Kyle Shanahan basically just broke Dan Quinn's defense? I, I mean, yeah. He just we broke knew, the defense. Yeah, we yeah. saw that game take place. That was the Levine Toilolo up the sideline play, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just interesting hearing it from Sherman, who's like, I was, you know, Shanahan and Quinn were together yeah. for a couple of years. He's facing that defense every single time. And then it's like, all right, when I face them again, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break their rules. Yeah. And he did. So that's going to be a fun little matchup here. Shanahan versus Dan Quinn. Like I said, Quinn's defense is not the same as what he was running mm-hmm. back in Atlanta. But it does. But, it will be interesting to see if Shanahan has enough. Like, does he still have enough to break it? Yeah. You know, every now and again, not like every play, not what he did to the Seahawks, but, um, or the, yeah, the, but can he break it enough to put up yeah. some points? Now, I mean, again, they faced off in the playoffs last year, and it's not like they put up record breaking numbers or anything. So it's such a, it's such a difficult thing to quantify. Just sorry, going back to Shanahan again. I mean, a high level, it's like Shanahan offenses are good, but like, but why, right? Like, why can't somebody replicate that? And the answers you always get are he calls plays with a purpose, right? He's, he's, He's building to something that's eventually going to break your defense, right? He's also processing all this information, right? He's like, if you play this thing one way, I have an answer for it. Um, and that's why all this, all the offensive coordinators that are getting fired across the league, a lot of them don't have that ability to call plays that build on each other. Uh, Joe Thomas calls it telling a story with your play calling. And so that whole side of the ball, Shanahan versus Quinn and everything is going to just be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, can Dallas um, really quick now Dak all the interceptions everybody's talking about his only you know his 15 plays his 15 interceptions this year don't even think he had a turnover where they played the other day we did have a question about the Carlton Davis one in the end zone he barely got his fingertips on the ball I don't think he had a chance to intercept it Dak played a really clean game the other night most of the interceptions themselves were very unlucky throughout the year Dak has also had a you know, he's been on the lower end of turnover-worthy play percentage over the last couple of years. Not egregious, but what's going to happen from a turnover standpoint in this one? If Dak throws a couple interceptions, man, the narrative comes right back. It does. And also, I mean, that's the game. Like, I, Dak can't have turnovers, I don't think, in this game because there's no evidence that this 49ers offense is going to get slowed down enough that you have that kind of margin. So uh, Dak needs to have another game like last week. He needs to have a clean game where he adds value, not detracts from it with a couple of mistakes. Anything else you want to add in this game? What else are we uh, looking for here? So if, if, if Tyler Smith moves to left tackle, mm-hmm. you've got Nick Bosa going up against – Nick Bosa will flip sides a little bit. Yep. Nick Bosa going up against Tyler Smith, the rookie, played some left tackle, left guard, and right tackle Tyron Smith. Mm-hmm. 
that's interesting. Yeah, and because Nick, so, neither one's re- like Tyron should be on the left side, and Tyler Smith should probably have that one full year at guard before moving to tackle. Right, but and Nick Bosa has split time either side of the line, but he's also had games where he identifies which is easier and stays there. You yeah. know, and this feels like a game where you would quite quickly determine that you're better off going up against Tyler Smith than you are even a Tyron Smith playing right tackle. Yeah, like I would imagine if that's how it breaks down, Bosa spends almost his entire time against the rookie. Charles Amenehu is number two on the team in uh, in pressures with 59. Really good season for him. He's long and difficult to block, just like Eric Armstead. Like they just keep bringing in these, you know, really difficult body types to block, plus freaks like Nick Bosa. So um, that's also a great matchup, right? San Francisco's defensive line against the Cowboys' O line. Mm-hmm. We've also got the uh, 49ers' defense with <laughs> Tamiko Ryan's having like 78 interviews during the week. Kind of Quinn, preparation to see Quinn's interviewing too, though. I like both D'Amico Ryan's and Dan Quinn are probably head coaches in this cycle. Yeah, um, or they're at least finalists. They're probably going to be head coaches, though. And again, the rules different now. You used to not be able to talk to these coaches until after the playoffs, right? right? Um, and now they they interview in the middle of the playoffs. So I don't know if that is any kind of factor. Even game planning, though, it's like you have so many people helping you game plan you have so many people helping you prepare for interviews but you know having your uh having your attention pulled away from the game at all i don't know if that's a factor here no um 49ers have used jimmy ward a lot as their slot guy now which puts him on a collision course with cd lamb a lot yeah cd lamb operates from the slot a lot that doesn't feel like a matchup that goes particularly well for san francisco i mean cd lamb has the advantage pretty much over every slot corner right but even like you know, prime Chris Harris, who was a pure corner playing in the slot. You don't trust too many slots against. Well, like for example, but a former yeah. safety like Ward with slot skills like that, yeah, could be a challenge. Like if you're again comparing it to last year, like I think the 49ers had Kwan Williams as right. a slot corner last year, who's a much more natural and good slot corner than Ward is. So, and I don't think that went tremendously well for them either, just simply because CD Lamb is good. But if you're looking for sort of mismatches in Dallas's favor, that's one potentially that you can see all right so a couple things to finally discuss here it's the Niners by three and a half mm-hmm. the game's at 6 30 on Sunday night and we're going to make a little change here too because we're going to record right after yeah like, presumably like, we're going to come in right after this game and recap the divisional round so our Monday morning show instead of waking up at 5 30 that day Sam we can you know stay up late God Sunday bless. night yeah right? like if you're we'll listening and if you listen as an audio form, it won't be any different for you, except it'll be up earlier. Yeah, it'll be up earlier. You might get that at 5 If you morning. watch, yeah. though, if you're one of the people that watch on YouTube, we're going to be live right after the games. Right after the games. Tell your friends. Must-see TV on YouTube. Which means the, the video will still be there when you wake up looking for your 7 a.m. Yeah. show. It just won't be live. But there'll be way more. You won't have, the, you won't have a chance. If you wake up at 7 a.m. and you're like, I'm going to be the first thumbs up. I'm going to be the first like. Too late. Yeah. Too late. It'll you be already be done then. But it'll still be there. You can see it. Let's get to our picks. Niners by three and a half. You going uh, Montana and Young or, or Aikman here? Uh, Montana and Young, 49ers. Wow, you're taking the Niners. Um, my rule is to not overrate the wild card hype. Right. But both teams have incredible hype. But doesn't feel like that changed more for Dallas than San Francisco. Like we already knew San Francisco was really, really good. Yeah, Whereas maybe. Dallas, it was like, Dallas looks ropey. Are they going to get taken down by a ropey Tampa Bay Nope, they're good. Sudden, right. They're good again. Then all of a sudden, they're good again. It's like, oh, I changed everything. I think I'm just going to keep betting against Purdy. I don't know. Like, I trust Dak more than Purdy, keep betting despite all Purdy. of that stuff. Um, give me Dallas. 
this is the one place where we differ here. Perfect. So you can gain a game here on playoff Steve, mm -hmm. who's four and two at the moment. Small sample, but you know, it's all I have this year. It's yeah. all I have. It really is. In my draft model. Well, that's it. We kept it under two hours. <laughs> well done. For four games. For four games. I still feel like we, you know, there's somebody going to be like, oh, you didn't talk about this. There's always, there's always a little something we didn't get to. But I think we did in this game. We appreciate everybody. Don't forget. Um, so we're going to do Sunday night, like I said, on YouTube. So we won't be live on Monday morning. We're going to do it Sunday night instead. Audio will be the, exactly the same. Next week, we're going to go to five shows. We'll have that extra Tuesday show with you and Renner. I'll, I'll jump in on the Friday show. So we're just expanding the content, both from an audio standpoint. You'll get extra shows if you're listening and extra shows on YouTube mm -hmm. because that's what we're doing. More PFF NFL podcast show that we're doing. And again, send us in emails if you have content suggestions, ideas, feedback, all of that kind of stuff. NFL podcast at PFF.com. And you know me, like playoffs are fun and all that stuff, but the off season's the real fun mm. talking about it. Right. So we're going to have a great time coming up here. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Enjoy divisional round weekend. And we'll see you Sunday night right after the games. <laughs>